Let's make real estate for everyone. Welcome to the Addy Podcast. At Addy, we're on a mission to make every human a homeowner. On our podcast, we share real estate investing best practices, industry news, and advice from real life experts. Keep up to date with what we're doing at addyinvest.com. I'm Katie Kernahan, and today on episode number three of the Addy Podcast, we talk to global restaurant group owner Imad Yakub about the future of restaurants. Imad Yakub is the CEO, president, and proprietor of Global Restaurant Group. Global Restaurant Group is one of Western Canada's fastest growing restaurant groups and has become one of the most successful restaurant companies in Vancouver. Join us as we chat with Imad about how to navigate the food and beverage industry during this crisis. Imad, so to kick things off, Imad, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, Thank you. I'd love just to share with the group a little bit about yourself and your background and um, about Global Group. Sure. Um, so I came to Canada when I was uh, 19 years old, uh, and, uh, I got myself, I started as a simple kitchen helper. My job was just to squeeze orange juice every day, boxes of boxes of orange juice, hours and hours and hours. I got fast at it. The sixth hour turned to a five, to a four, to three, to two. I started doing my job in about a, uh, an hour and 15 minutes. So I started running around in the kitchen. I was in a very high-end hotel. That time was the Harbor Castle Hilton in Toronto. Was had some of the, the most leading uh, chefs in the country. Um, and I stood beside a very... After that, this guy becoming one of the top chefs in Canada. His name is Mark Tewitt. And I was standing beside him. I said, hey, chef, can I help you? I have so much time on my hand. And said, Come up and slice some mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Well, to, I got good at it, fast at it. Uh, I moved very quickly in the business. By the age of 26, I was the chef de cuisine of the King Ever Hotel. 27, I was the youngest executive chef of Toronto, running a restaurant called Aqua, which was just sister restaurant of Aqua San Francisco and Aqua Vegas. Uh, then I started running other restaurants, and then I came to Vancouver to be the executive chef of Joe Forte. Run Joe Forte for a couple of years, and I decided to go on my own. I went on my own, I opened a little cafe in Toronto, then another restaurant in Toronto. Then I came to Vancouver and started the, the Global Restaurant Group until um, February or <laughs> until the middle of until the middle of uh, March. We were uh, fifty million dollar a year in revenue and eight hundred and fifty staff. Wow! But don't ask me what's how it's going to be after that or the next year. <laughs> oh, I'm <But> going to. <laughs> I'm, I'm only going to look at what we, we were were how we're going to yeah. go out of that. <laughs> Perfect. And what was your first restaurant out of the global group? Global in Yaltown. Okay, great. And so we so- started, yeah, sorry, we started with global. Then we opened a, a lounge in the back called Afterglow, then Coast in Yaltown, then Senefir. It was a very cute restaurant on uh, Cranville Street where it's like silk silhouettes and walls of candles. And, mm-hmm. uh, you could eat on beds on the second floors uh, with a Moroccan style restaurant. And we opened Italian Kitchen on Alberni, then Trat and Forth, then uh, moved Coast downtown, then, uh, and then we kept opening uh, uh, Trat in Burnaby, Trat in Park Royal. Um, we, we started something called the uh, Society where Coast used to be, then the big giant global, move global. We're always doing something. Right. So how many restaurants in total are there right now? Right now we're nine including the, our newest one that just came online in January, where was the um, uh, five sale at the Pan Pacific Hotel. Okay, great. And so what's your role? Like, obviously, I assume you're not still in the kitchen at Global. 
Uh, I am in the kitchen if they have to. So you're going to see me sometimes jumping in the kitchen when they get, like, let's say I'm working lunch in Global and the kitchen get hit and they need a hand. I would just take my, my jacket off and put an apron on and I'll jump in the kitchen to help them for half an hour and get out. That's great. I need to show them the old man has still got some moves. That's all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's still got the skills. Um, so generally at Global, um, when you're not in those situations where you have to jump in the kitchen, you're running the business, growing the business, thinking about yeah. what's next. Everything. Everything from uh, marketing to uh, philosophy to standards to uh, the growing of the business, where we want to go next with our company, um, costing, financials, banks everything right and so just uh kind of outside the business part of it what is your sort of personal philosophy around real estate investing and um owning personally and then owning um as a as an owner of restaurants well i have always looked to real estate as an incredible investment if you get uh, uh from a restaurant owner that work his ass off and then he see the end of the month how much money i pay to my landlord i always mm -hmm. like to be like if i could own my own spaces that would be the best thing to to do so uh, um, um, depends what you're trying to invest in uh, I mean we always tell to people always get your own house don't pay rent when you could own your own house that's the first thing that anybody that any advice that I'll give to anyone uh, then when you start looking to other real estates of investment um, you're gonna have to decide what do you want to be in your portfolio if you have lots of cash or you have a little cash and what are you seeing from, uh, uh, sorry, I'm just cutting off my phone. Um, what are you seeing, um, where do you want your investment to grow? Uh, real estate will always grow with time. So even if it goes, it's a guarantee thing. So, you know, they call deaths and taxes, it's actually deaths and taxes and real estate. It will always gonna go up. Don't look at it when there's crashes. The smart one always buy when it's crash and they will hold to it, and they will hold for years and years and years, and 20 years later, you look at it, it's gonna be a lot more than what you spend money on. So as long as you keep growing your, your portfolio slowly, you're gonna find yourself, all these big guys that in Vancouver, the billionaires of Vancouver, that uh, they're regulars of mine, and I know them, the Beedies and the Bozers and uh, uh, the Ani groups, all these guys start from somewhere with a real estate portfolio, and just now becoming an insanely sizable real estate, but they have to start from somewhere. Yeah, for sure. I think that's really great advice. And so um, what sort of real estate do you own? So I do have some commercial spaces on, uh, in, in Gastown. I bought a uh, Water Street uh, Cafe, the building on the corner across from the, the clock. So that's where our, we have our head office. Uh, it's, uh, we got it in early, two, uh, early two, 2004, I think. No, maybe 2006 or seven. A little bit maybe after that and this is was just after the crash uh, after the crash we got it for a very good price mm -hmm. and uh, whatever we paid for it uh, it went up three almost 300 percent since we bought it so that's show where's the growth of the real estate you you pay three million dollars for for a, for a building is worth 10 right now so. right um and so and we have another location i have other i have other spots uh, I had uh, I have one on Hastings. Um, I had other location. Uh, unfortunately, a year ago uh, I was going through my separation, so I had to I had to let go of some of my real estates. Uh, so, but uh, before last year, I had uh, I had locations in in Yaletown. I had uh, one on on Nelson. It's all like little small pieces that I got my hand on for a good price, and I just they were leased and rented. 
So I end up just getting rid of some of them uh, just for my separation. But otherwise, I will never get rid of real estate unless it's unless it's a very good check. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. So we'll get into this later. But you obviously run restaurants, and then one of your tenants is a is a restaurant. So yes, dig into that in a little bit. So pivoting towards sort of current landscape, how has COVID nineteen impacted um, the restaurant industry and like your industry or your restaurant specifically? Uh, 50% is going to go. Wow. It's, that's, that's not, uh, it's very sad. 50% of this, there's 225,000 people working in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I predict 100,000 is not going to get their job back wow. for years. It's, yeah. it's, it's ugly. It is very ugly out there. And people don't realize how ugly it is. It right. is extreme. I have people calling me and say to me, you know, I got a $10,000 in my bank account and my landlord is asking for his $15,000 rent for the month. I don't know what to do. Right. I, every day, one of them calling me and said, I'm going to have to let go of one. Right. And so what's your very, response? Well, I mean, we, we were so lucky. We were just planning to open a big restaurant in Toronto. So we we're working on somebody mortgaging one of our real estates, uh, getting a big loan for, uh, uh, we we're going to open a couple of restaurants in Vancouver. We we're negotiating, open a couple, and I wanted the cash right away so the things that happened. So we got the loan on the 15th of uh, March. Oh, just, just before. Just, and that was uh, because we probably lost, we were losing about almost $100,000 a day. Wow. For, uh, for the first months like it's uh, it was just uh, yeah it, it was very ugly it was ugly we lost about three million dollars uh, in the first months and a half well that's pretty staggering yeah um, that's that's just some business it's very it's very tough it's very it's very thin margin and uh, if you with what happened it, it's going to wipe up 50 percent right what do you, you know, like how have you evolved your approach during COVID? Obviously you had to make changes really quickly. Um, well, we, yeah, we, 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 my background is in accounting. So I was just, not just a chef and one of the top chefs in Canada, but I'm an accountant. So numbers come very easy for me. So I could see the full picture in my head very quickly and we take decisions very, very quickly. And that's what make our company always been during Bad, uh, bad recessions or a bad, uh, bad year always was always to cope. Uh, we never get surprises because from the first day when we shut down, we already start running our numbers or start understanding what's going to happen. So we, we did quite a bit of, first we laid off everybody. So we, 850 staff was all laid off. We only kept about maybe four people. Even all my partners that run on the company, the investor uh, and uh, and senior manager all got laid off. Everybody got laid off. Uh, second thing is uh, um, second thing is is we went in and we uh, we start organizing ourselves how we're gonna reopen. So we decided okay which location we're gonna reopen first so you don't take the damage when you're opening and you're losing more money. Um, and third we decided okay what is the reopening is gonna look like. Uh, and we created uh, first wave, second wave, third wave. So it's mean is, is when we're ready to open, we're going to start reopening our restaurants on Thursday next week. That'll be going to be our first restaurants to be reopened. Uh, who's the first waves of uh, staff are coming in? Uh, and then we, we, the minute we, we move forward a little bit, we're going to get the second wave and the third wave. So we're going to take it piece by piece and we hopefully we'll get out of it well. Right. 
And so between, you know, sort of like, uh, Sorry. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Uh, during the shutdown on March 16th up until next Thursday when you're going to start the reopening process, what has your been approach been um, between, like, I know that you've been, you know, giving back to the community, for example, the frontline meal donation, um, how has exploring like food delivery been or pickups or gift cards, like what are some of the things you've done between to keep revenue coming in? Well, so we have our takeout programs that we'll put it in three of, uh, three of uh, our restaurants. Um, actually now we went up to almost five of our restaurants, our takeout programs, and we ran them in a way that, uh, sorry, we ran them in a way that, um, uh, each uh, each restaurant had a certain budget of how we uh, how we're going to reopen with and how much money is going to be coming through. Um, we set up the budget for the managers. We told them this is how you're going to operate. This is the staff that you're going to bring in, and then we're going to move forward. Of okay, again on phase two, uh, we decided to do these uh, the meals out because we understood that uh, it is so important for us uh, to to give back to the community. But we couldn't afford, like we did already 12, over 12, almost 12,000 meals in the last month and a half. Uh, first responders, uh, hospitals, uh, uh, lots of, uh, lots of the, uh, you know, like the Ronald McDonald and the Loving Spoonful, uh, women's shelters. We understood that we couldn't afford all that. I wanted to bring some of my staff back and I want them to be able to, we, in the meantime, we want to be able to help to the community. We have kitchens. We have equipment. Uh, we have, we have, we have things we could be able to do it. So we went into all these top sponsors, and we asked them. We said to them, "Is there a possibility that you could? Uh, do you want to donate?" So all these uh, sponsors stood up. We only did it for cost. We didn't make a penny on it. So let's say the sponsor they pay about eight bucks per meal that covered the that covered the cost of the meal, the packaging, the people that are going to deliver it the staff that are going to be wearing masks and all the safety issues to deliver the meals to, uh, to, uh, to where it's going. And uh, through that, we got all these sponsors. We kept people in the kitchen, so kept people working. So that was a, a double whammy for, for, uh, for us. Uh, so that's one thing. It kept, us, it kept us out there in front of the media because the media loved that. So the, we got tons of uh, publicity out of it. It wasn't being done from the beginning for the publicity, but we realized that everybody want to be talking about it. So I think we were in every magazine, we were on every uh, the six o'clock news about maybe, maybe about 10 times. And then out of that, uh, we start looking in, let's do something else. Our gift card program that came in in the same time. So we, um, we decided what can we do to, to sell gift card, but we want to give them something to bring them back. So we offered buy 50, get an extra 50, but we give them a certain timing to use the other 50 to come back. And the idea is, if I sold $100,000 of free $50, $50 gift card, they have to come in in the first two months when I open. So mm -hmm. I bring back the business very quickly and the restaurant don't look empty. So right. we, they have between, between May till the end of September was four months to spend this $50. The other $50, they could, they could keep it with them for years. But the $50 that is promo, they'll bring them back in certain time where it create that energy and create so we, 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 we take decisions that we look at it from our decision, say, in the end of the day, what is going to do for us and how is going to keep that machine going? Because it's a big machine. So mm -hmm. we, we have to take every decision that way. Yeah. Um, and so how has it been working with some of the de food delivery services like DoorDash? You know what? The, 
they take quite a bit of the bottom line. So they, it's not really helping merchants. When DoorDash take 20%, you have two choices. Is you raise the price of your menu by, you take by 20%. Mm -hmm. So think about it. Uh, I, I ordered DoorDash for my kids and I start on a meal on a, on a, uh, on my phone for $12, $14. And by the time it's finished, uh, it ended up becoming over 20 something dollars. And this is what's happening with DoorDash. Restaurant get hit was 20%. They add another 20% for deliveries and, and they add tips on it and they add all this. So you start adding this number becoming very expensive. We try to do it 50-50. So we, we tell people, if you're in the area, pick up. It's a lot easier for you. It saved the 20% for the restaurant and it does not give us to put a higher price on DoorDash. Right. Because most of the restaurant will raise their pricing about 15, 20% on DoorDash than what you get it in the restaurant. So if you're walking into a restaurant for a grab and go, you're probably gonna get it cheaper than if you get it on DoorDash. Okay. And get back to because of the, the margin is so small, so there's not much in it. Right, exactly. And so when people come by the restaurants, um, what sort of health measures do you have in place? So right now, because we're in, still in the, in the take in the, in the takeout only, uh, you can't get any, anywhere near of the, the restaurant. You have to be on the outside. There's a table that's blocking in. You're coming in. Somebody will come up from the back, and then there's a, there's a distance. Uh, they will ask you, what's the name? It's in a bag. We were wearing masks. Like, we, we have uh, the – because we, we're getting ready to reopen and to relaunch, so I'm going to mix in these together. Uh, uh, we set up – the restaurant association will set up a, a big, huge package to, sell, to send it to the – to Dr. Bonnie before uh, the reopening and the relaunch of restaurants in, in Vancouver. And they were so impressed. The premier actually called the, um, the head of the restaurant association last week to congratulate them on how detailed. And, and they actually understood that it was quite a bit. They can follow through all the recommendations that we did. The main reason is because they understand that there is very small restaurants that they're not gonna be able to deal with a guy like me, what can I do, what, what I'm willing to do. Then it's more like I'm having in my restaurant infrared cameras that have been installed. It's going to be one out of one after one. That the idea is I don't need to take your temperature walking into our restaurants, but I will know if you're sick, I'm going to refuse you coming in through the door, right? Because we took your temp, you, we took the heat uh, temp, temperature of you coming in. Our staff, when they come into our restaurant, the minute they walk in through the restaurant, they, ha we have, they have to take their temperature, they register the temperature with their name. You step in a, in, a, in a soaking tray where they have like a bleach in it so their feet is uh, sanitized or the shoes are sanitized. They come into the kitchen, the uniform, the masks, all the stuff to keep them uh, uh, was, uh, was safe because we have to not just follow the guides of uh, WorkSafe BC. We're trying to create more than what WorkSafe BC is looking for to create safety for our staff. Me, like I'm in the kitchen. I don't want to get sick when I'm around the customers. And in the meantime, for customers, when they come into our restaurant, they feel safe. Right, that's a lot of stuff to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tons. Yeah, um, and so how have you, like just talking about like the marketing side of things, obviously like, there's a lot of different messages that are out there. How have you pivoted your marketing and what are you thinking about on the marketing side you know, as you start to reopen? You, you just have to decide how is your direction with any type of marketing, any type of business. Don't be all over the map. Take them in piece by piece and two, three days go after that piece that you're, uh, that you're trying to market because I have an amazing uh, marketing team that they work uh, with us. And uh, um, give you an example, we, we are deciding that we're gonna reopen uh, on Thursday next week. 
we know Italian Kitchen is one of them. So we said, okay, so from Tuesday to Thursday, we're going to be talking to Italian Kitchen about buy before the end of the time. They already did it. People bought it and the restaurant got shut down. So they use it only on, uh, on mon Sundays and Mondays. So we want to remind people with these packages, come and reuse your package starting from that week. So now people will start talking about, oh, I got a package. I want to come back to Italian Kitchen to use my package. Uh, we're looking at global uh, uh, lunch, uh, burger and beer Friday. So we're going to mark that. We're looking at uh, black and blue, the roof. So we take them piece by piece. And every, uh, every day we'll put up one of these packages on, in marketing just to keep the information out there so people know that these restaurants are back in business and they're open. Right. Um, so I want to dig into more about how, you know, you're approaching kind of coming out of this. But uh, one question that I did have is around, um, obviously, you one of your tenants is a restaurant. And so how have you um, handled the relationship, I guess, both a tenant and then also having a restaurant tenant? Like, what's the balance there? My approach to my tenant is exactly what I'm asking for my landlord. I think that's the fairest thing. I, I mean, because I know landlord that happen to be restaurant owners, that they're not even given a, like a buddy of mine, um, took a place out of me, give you a simple example. Uh, the old global was is in Yaltown and it was owned by a restaurateur that I leased from him. And this guy took the restaurant from me. And now that restaurateur is telling him, if you're going to be late on rent, I'm going to sue you. Well, I mean, he can't do that. And he should be, the, he should understand that. I'm not going to go down to the guy that he worked his ass up for the last three, four years to make my building more expensive. And the, uh, the reality is he's not having a penny in his pocket and I, I can't put him more in the hole because he's going to close. I'm going to look for, for another tenant for what, six months, eight months? Or me personally, I'll put a restaurant in it. So that's the only choice for me. If he, I can't find another tenant, I have to go in by myself and open a restaurant in it. And I'm not ready to open another restaurant right now. So the relationships between me and my landlord and me and my tenant, it has to be the same. What I wanted my landlord to do for me, I should be able to offer it to my tenant. I think that's the fairest way to do it. Yeah, for sure. That sounds fair. And so how has that been received? Like, Oh, he's, I, 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 when I sit down with him, I told him, I said, I am going to offer you exactly what I'm asking for my landlord. Right. So don't ask me for more because I'm not willing to give more because I know that my landlord is not going to give me more of what I'm asking. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, the fairest. Right. And what's your, what are your thoughts on how the government has responded Back to supporting, you know, rent assistance like that for commercial. The government doing a couple of things that good, but it's a circus ways too. So I could approach it from two different ways. The rent assistance is outstanding, but then they capped it by fifty thousand dollars. So every per, every restaurant with a big big size restaurant like mine, they don't qualify. So now we're arguing with the landlord. Why don't we ask for, to qualify it up to fifty thousand dollars, and then we pay the difference. At least I'll get something from, I guess, I, I, at, at least I get something from the, uh, from the, from the, uh, from the landlord, from the government. So that's, that's my approach to my landlord. So it, it does, it will work. I think the, the, it should go for another extra months. Mm. It should go for an extra months because even if the restaurants are open and back, they need every penny they could save. So if they could save another 50% uh, of the rent for another month or two, 
is going to help them from not going under under right away. It's really going to help. But the other side, what we call it, I call it circus in my hand, it's, is that 75% that we were offering for uh, to uh, substitute to uh, staffing. Uh, bring your staff back and we'll give you 75% of the salary up to $58,000. Because I'm in accounting, I ran the numbers. If you're $58,000 and you go on an unemployment, what are you going to get out of the unemployment? It's about $2,000 a month because it's 55% of what you get, $2,000 a month. And instead of their paying it to you, they're just going to transfer the money to us so we could pay it to you. Mm. That, that's great uh, if, if the restaurant is open. But if the restaurant is closed, I'm losing 25% for every person I'm bringing in. Right. <laughs> so why do I bring you back? I'm, I can't add any more lost, right? Mm -hmm. So it will work very well the minute the restaurant is open. The minute the restaurant is open, it's going to work very, very well. But as long as the restaurants are closed, it doesn't work. Right. So that's, the, that's where it kind of gets a little bit iffy in it. So we hope, we hope they extend it for another month too. Okay. And conversations, trying to push that agenda? I'm sorry? Have you been involved in any of those conversations, trying to push that forward? Well, we, we, we give our recommendation to... Uh, Restaurant Association, they put it out, but we can't get to really the, the federal. We're getting lots of the provincial. I mean, the yesterday, the announcement about the 25%, uh, about the about we're, we're going to be receiving our uh, our same discount as a wholesale uh, for restaurant, where it should be from years and years and years and years. That should be, uh, uh, that, that should be uh, something that we were expecting and we were hoping for for, for a long time. Unfortunately, uh, um, we can't get to the federal government yet. So we're hoping. So hopefully that they will push for it and maybe we'll get out of it something. I mean, I'm sure whatever we say here, it's everywhere because yeah. it's the expectation because whatever we're going through, everybody in the country are going through right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so does this crisis change the types of markets or properties or locations that you're looking at with respect to ones you already have or like if you're opening new ones? Uh, I don't want to sound, for me, I'm just waiting for another six months because I think if I could get out of it in six months, the chances of me finding location is going to be a lot higher. What I'm going to be paying for rent is going to be a lot lower. Right. So I'm just holding for that. I'll give you a simple example. I was, I had a, a, an A plus location in, in Toronto. I was looking at, we did a, an incredible presentation to the to the owner of the building downtown and like in the heart of the business districts in Toronto we offered them a very good I thought it was a high lease a very top restaurant groups in the country one of these big chains went in and offered them $20 more per square foot than me where it was like $100 a foot I looked at it I said it's impossible I'm never going to make money like that so I said no he said Imad we like you better than them if you could match it we'll give it to you I said, no, you could give it to them. Well, guess what? They just called me and they told me they pulled out. Do you want it? Do you still interested? I said, no, thank you. Right. And I don't think I'm going to be paying them 80 bucks a foot if I'm going into that spot now. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's going to balance a little bit that craziness. I mean, we lost our location on Alberton Street because somebody walked into the landlord two years ago. I was paying $35,000 in rent, 70 bucks a foot. And he offered them $275 a foot. 
from 70 to 275. Rent went up from 35,000 to 110,000 a month. I give the keys to the landlord. I said, I can't renew. And that's why we moved that current kitchen. That's going to calm down all the landlord, I think. Right. And, and so, so you see opportunity for... Absolutely. Absolutely. You're going to see opportunity for purchasing real estate because the people that they so over leverage themselves, they're going to realize that if they lost their tenant, they can't afford it because the bank's going to come and knock in. And in the meantime, is, is being that anybody coming through the door, they're not going to be willing to pay what people are asking for. So that's going to calm down the real estate a little bit. But in the meantime, is you're going to, you're going to have for leases everywhere, I think. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. um. And so um, you're keeping your eye out for specific locations still in the downtown core? Yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple of restaurants already closed that we like the locations. We're just going to wait for another four or five months before we even look at it. But we give the hint to the landlord that we're interested. We just have to get out of that. Right. On the idea is when things change a little bit, the landlord said, okay, the global group were interested in it. Let's see who else is interested. Right. And so what other opportunities outside of that do you see in the next 12 months for restaurants? Like, do you see a kind of a new model evolving for people given that maybe social distancing really sunk in? Well, you know, people are going to be experiments. Every day they're going to be experiments. They're going to be experiments something different every day. So I, I was watching a video, I don't know if people seen it, about these restaurants in Amsterdam that they look like a... Like a uh, greenhouses, small greenhouses that then up for a table and two people, and you and you could, it's almost like pots, and you could drop them everywhere, and and people are eating inside them. Hmm. Who knows? This for patios. Maybe this is what's going to be the patios outside on the street because the the BC government allow they, they're going to make it so easy for restaurant to have tables on the streets, so becoming more uh, like Europe. But maybe that's a way to do it for now. Nobody knows where is this going to go. All what I know that I took 50% of our seating out of our restaurants. So the capacity of our restaurant just shut down completely. So that's what I know. So now my job is if I lost 50% of my seat, how I'm going to rotate the seating and how fast enough we're going to get create menu that is smaller, faster, so we don't, so we could have people in the restaurant for under two hours so I could reset this table more than one so I could come at least to 50% of my sales. Right. So looking at shifting your menu. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and so with respect to patios, um, how many of your locations have patios right now? Uh, almost all of them, but they change sizes. There's ones with big giant patios, like Global and uh, Black and Blue. Uh, mm -hmm. Italian Kitchen have a reasonable size patios. Uh, Trat Burnaby have a reasonable size patios. Uh, Coast have a small patio. Uh, and track on, on force have a small patio. But if they allow us to use the, the, the sidewalk or the street parking in front of the door, because that's what we say, they're going to cancel all the parkings on that streets, they're thinking, mm -hmm. and they're going to allow restaurants to put tables on the streets. So if you drive on Robson, and you see now, they were doing it, last year they were experiment. they were doing like, um, like an experiment uh, way of trying to see it. And you, you might see it on 4th with an ice, the ice cream place on 4th, or you see it uh, uh, um, Urban Fair on Alberni Street, or the, the, the crib place on Robson, that they were trying these ideas. So that's, I think, what's going to be happening right now. 
Right, those are the little parklet things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so what have you, um, like we've, I've heard a little bit about dark restaurants, you know, where there's like a centralized kitchen and they don't actually have any tables and the delivery services come there and pick up food. Yeah, yeah, I mean, lots of places did that. We did that with our coast uh, and uh, black uh, Italian kitchen. We moved our coast kitchen to Italian kitchen to have more than one uh, restaurant on the web, but mm -hmm. it's done from one kitchen. So we brought our sushi chefs, and instead of having two restaurants that turn on, we had them in the Italian kitchen is smaller. We moved our sushi chefs to Italian kitchen, and they were doing all the sushis from Italian kitchen. So we order on, on the web uh, our sushis from coast, but you go pick it up from Italian kitchen. Uh, the same thing like Miko's, Miko's was doing the same thing. But this is all gonna change the minute the restaurant's gonna get open. So next week, when people start opening the restaurant, they're going to go back to their locations. Right. So you wouldn't, you don't see there being a, a no, no. And then, then you have to let go of all your other restaurants then. Right. Because what are you going to do? You're going to just have it dark for how long, right? Yeah. Um, and I know this isn't really your industry necessarily, but food trucks, what do you think about food trucks? Do you think they'll become more popular? I mean, I think it, it should because, I mean, you're going to be standing on the street. You're going to be lining up and you're going to be, but then what are you going to do with the food? Are you going to be sitting on the bench and eating it? So if this is what you want, this is what you want. If you want to walk into a restaurant and there's enough social distancing, so you're getting the same. So a global as example, I just like when I set up my table and I put up the divider and I put some uh, in front of my bar, you want to sit on the bar? We're going to let you sit on the bar, but there are going to be like a plexi shield in front of you. So you don't breathe on the, uh, on the, I don't think, the government are really worried about, I don't want to call it worried about the coronavirus, don't take this from my, from my mouth, as much as the public are. What I mean is, the best example, when we give them the package of how we reopen, and we said we want to take customers' temperature in, we want to make sure that, uh, that um, mask, they actually came back and said, no, the guys in the kitchen don't have to wear a mask, as long as they're washing their hands, and as long as they're, uh, they're taking their temperature before they get into work, and as long as they don't feel sick, and they, they're, they're continuing following the, the, the proper procedures, it's not going to be a problem. So that's how the government and the health board are looking at it. We are just watching these, skip, these things in videos with people with big, almost like walking into uh, to, um, to an operation room and thinking that this is going to be the new, a new norm. And I don't think it's going to get to that because even the WorkCPC and the health board, they're not asking us to be They just say is, because in the kitchen, you can have, uh, you really can have social distance in the kitchen. 99% of the restaurants, how are you gonna have two people working on the line beside each other, six feet apart? Well, then you're not gonna get any food out. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, so I, I don't think the thing is, no, no, we're gonna allow them to be beside by, side by side. Just make sure that they're, don't come to work if you feel sick. Wash your hand all the time. You know what I mean? The food's gonna be fine when it's gonna be cooked on high heats and all that and just, and even we said to them, wear gloves. They said, well, we don't really care for gloves because gloves is actually give you the sense of cleaning. We prefer that you wash your hand. Because right. people that wear gloves, they might not wash their hand. I prefer that you're washing your hand every couple minutes. It's a lot more safer than you're wearing gloves. So there's lots of things I'm saying, it's in people's mind that is actually the health board don't care for. And that's where I think that things are gonna settle down after that.
Right. Um, and so just talking about like different types of uh, restaurants, do you think fine dining, given, you know, you go there and you spend quite a bit of time, usually if you're going out for a really luxurious experience, you think that that's going to shift? It kind of has to do with the special turnover. Yes. So, so the way the shift, it, you're not going to get the, the whole experience. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. In black and blue, we took away the table side Caesar. So we're not going to be making Caesar salad table side. We took out the flambe. We took out the things that the carving of the steaks table side, the things that it give you that, that extra edge, we had to take it out. But in the meantime is, you're walking into black and blue, not much change because all my booths have technically the beautiful curtain between. So you're on your own divider. She's still going to be sitting in the, in the booth. We just move the seat behind us. So when the waiter talking, she's a little bit farther. You, go, you order a bottle of wine. He's going to pour the wine and pass it to you. But then he's going to leave the bottle of wine on the table so he doesn't need to go back and keep pouring your wine. We're going to, tr- to minimize us going into the table. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so um, one last question, maybe before we turn it over to online for questions. How do you, are you concerned about um, impacts on tourism on the restaurant industry? Oh, de- uh, definitely. Like we were predicting uh, BC to get 9.2 million visitors this year. Well, we'll be lucky if we get what? A million and Canadian that coming into BC when things settle down and they start traveling inside Canada. Uh, we lost the, the cruise ship. We lost it. All the, we're off, all the convention. There's no more convention. Uh, yeah, it's going to affect quite a bit the, the restaurant industry. That, that's, that's got wide. And that's the reason why I said if we do 40% of where we were uh, from a year before, we could survive because you're never going to be able to get more than that. I mean, I'm talking to hotel owners and um, they have five rooms in a hotel that's 400 rooms right now. Five rooms. That's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and so I guess similar like events at your restaurants as well probably can. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's gone, all this. But, but there is a way, because people don't really understand the, the, the rules. The rules say this is you cannot have more gathering more than 50 people. That means is you can have a birthday party and invite 55 people or a wedding or a, or a funeral. But you could have a private room for 25 people, mm-hmm. right? So we're going to start looking in at uh, smaller parties in private rooms that, uh, you know, um, a grandpa with his four kids and their wives and their grandkids and he want to take them out for a nice dinner. Well, you're in already 15, 20 people. You know what I mean? So it's, we start looking to this style of bookings that we're going to be doing. Right. So kind of before we flip it over to questions, and like think ahead to opening next Thursday. Like what's your feeling? Are you optimistic? Well, we, we don't know yet if we're going to be extremely busy. I don't know. But I know that there's people itching to come out. Yeah, I'm you one. Could see, you could see it. I mean, I went into Yaletown last week and I was like, like, it's almost like a normal day. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping is, okay, you know what? I need to get out. I'm going to ho- go have a nice glass of wine. I'm going to meet my girlfriend. It's time. And we're going to go out. We've both been in quarantine for the last three months. We're going to go sit down. So that's what we're all hoping for. I mean, it's not going to be a Friday night in the restaurant, but it's going to look like a Sunday night on a Friday night. Yeah. Well, so I'm so appreciative of it, yeah. having had it taken away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Thanks. That was, I feel like I had more to ask you, but I wanted to save time for questions. So um, with that, I'm just going to turn it over to Steve to ask 
few questions that came in through the chat. And if um, you haven't asked your question, you can put it in the chat bar and Steve will ask them to email. Great, thanks Imad. Um, there's a whole bunch of questions that have come in um, across a few different topics, but I've moved them around a little bit here. The, whoops, the first one, what's the bar seating gonna look like? Okay, I, like so sit, I actually, sitting at the bar. So I actually did it today. Uh, so I have a plexiglass, it's um, 48, 48 inch wide by about three feet high. They went in front of the bar. You're, you're sitting on the bar, two seats, you're facing. It, it's, it's okay for, for places like mine because they're huge bars. So I put two, two seats together and I put the plexi in front of it. And then I'll do five feet uh, and then I put another two seats and then a plexi in front of it. So the bartender could be having fun with you and talking to you, but there is a plexi between. And in the meantime, is there's nobody on the right, there's nobody on the left. This is soon for a second, it's not two people, it's three people coming in, they're together, or four people. Then we'll put four seats together, the plexiglass, and then five feet on the right, five feet on the left. So the, the plexiglass is movable? Yeah. Ah, cool. Um, how does that, um, how will happy hour work? Well, it's still going to be working. You could come in, but you could, you're going to sit on the table. Yeah. It's not going to be as crazy as normal. So, uh, but it's still, lounges are already been shut down. So we're not, we're not if we're going to see people in lounge, we're going to be keeping our eye on it to keep them away from each other. Uh, again, I'm blessed to a place like Global Example. I could have tables where are 10 feet between and I still have lots of seats in the restaurant because we have 15,000 square feet restaurants. We get tons of space to, to deal with. Cool. Uh, this person asked a question, which I think is an interesting one, is how are the bathrooms going to work? Do you, will you have to wait in line or wait outside or one person, even at the bathroom, could fit four or five people? How's well, that no. What we understood from them is, um, you know, from the uh, women's, they're all individual stalls, so you could just walk in. Think of yourself walking to Whole, uh, to whole Food. I mean, you cross each other all day long. I, I go to Whole Food every day and I'm, we're crossing each other. We just turn our back to each other and you're walking into your own single uh, washroom stall. The, in the men, we're just going to cut down the urinal one, one working, one not, one working, one not. So if I, I have six in a row, I'm just going to have three instead. Gotcha. Got, but no, no staff or somebody outside saying no, it's full, no none of We're that. just going to send them staff all the time to make sure that, you know, the handles are all wiped. We're going to leave beside the, the door. Uh, a little table with a with a with a cleaner sanitizers and yeah. napkins so you could open the door with the napkin if you want and then you close the door with the napkin then you sanitize your head and you way out in and out so we're going to try to keep all these we're going to have sanitizer station everywhere i mean we before that this has happened we were still operating people walked into our washroom and they stole our sanitizer because they couldn't yeah. get it they pull it off the wall. So let's hope that people are had enough sanitizer right now. That we, have, <laughs> we could leave them in their spots and they don't go. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so Jessica here asked an interesting question. It uh, kind of ties this all together. And if you're expecting 40% of the tables, you're adding all this sanitizer and all this yeah. stuff. How does uh, the, how I know does exactly the what's coming, work? pricing. Yeah, how does, does the pricing go up? Does the, does your rent go significantly down? Do you renegotiate yeah. the rent? How does it work? Well, landlord don't want to negotiate. So you're going to have to explain to landlord what to do, right? So we're, we are discussing with landlord some deferred rent and some discount. So you go to your landlord and say, okay, give me 20% discount and defer me another 20% 
that after one year from now, add it on my lease, will go back to my normal rent plus 20%. And maybe I'll 5% interest. Like I'm trying to be fair. Like, so the landlord walking out, I say, this guy, you know what? He negotiates like an accounting. He's not negotiating like, give me that. So we're trying to be fair with them. Um, what we're looking at that we, we have two choices, raise the price on all the menus or putting a surplus of, uh, I'm thinking $3 for a table of two, $5 for any table above four and up. It's like a, a seat, like a seating fee or something. But it's not a seating fee. It's a, we're going to call it because I want to put on the table little uh, 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 hand wipe towels, sanitizer wipe towel oh, that I'm bringing from South Korea that uh, the actually is not just a sanitizer. It have like a moist cream in it. So it's not just like, you know, when you wipe up your hand and it's dry with an alcohol rub. So they're expensive. Like it cost me almost like 65 cents per piece. I can't just give you $4 on the table for it. To do that so we're trying to just the cost that we're going to be adding to it get 50 percent back because if i raise the pricing on every dish by two dollars i'm going to make a lot more money but i don't want to be like that either right uh, if i raise two dollars my salad and, and three dollars my entrees and you order a salad and entree i just got per person five bucks i'm not asking for that i'm asking for almost a dollar fifty per person just to cover the tiny bit of that cost because the cost is quite a bit cost yeah no, it's well. It sounds like it. All the things that you're talking about are oh, just man. new, new costs for you. And then you can only have forty or fifty percent of the patrons. Give you an example. Today, I put out in Global alone three thousand dollars worth of plexiglass. Just today alone. Wow, and that's just, one restaurant. Just one restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's another question. Uh, just sort of a bit of a bigger picture. Do you think Robson Street will ever come back to its glory, or is it? No, no, I don't tell you why. I'll tell you why. The problem with Robson Street before that this happened was 50% of the landlord, they don't live in Canada. They're billionaire from Asia that they own all these locations and they're just looking at it on, a, on, on the plan as a revenue. I wanted 300 bucks a foot. I don't care. I, I bought that place that if it was giving me 15 bucks a foot, I'll be still making my money. It's been sitting on their portfolio. And they're willing to leave it closed for six months to a year to two years to bring it back. That just created what happened. And then some of the landlords started getting desperate. So they start renting them to the, the, the TV shops and the little Korean restaurant. So suddenly that the street changed dramatically. You can bring it back to where it was. And, uh, and I lived very, uh, I lived in Hero and Nicola when I came into Vancouver and I understand how I used to sit down on Robson on the corner of, uh, uh, uh taking my, my coffee every day at the Starbucks on the corner of Thirlo and, uh, Robson, but I don't think it's going to come back. I yeah. don't think it's going to come back. Maybe you still will have a block or a block and a half because they looked at it as a cheaper from Alberni street, but even Alberni, you're not going to get these numbers anymore. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what do you think about bars, pubs, nightclubs that get most of their revenue from like late night drinking, lots One of year. people, loud, loud open. music? They're not opening. They, they, they're going to be on phase four. So there's no nightclubs going to be open until next year. There is no concert. There is no nightclubs. There is no bars. There is no standing. All this going to be on phase four. That means when they find a vaccine. No standing. So, so, so if you have like live music in a pub or something, that's all gone. That's not happening. So you're just going to operate as a pub with seating, yeah, spread yeah, out with seating. Social, 
social distance first. Wow. And you, at least uh, you're saying at least a year. Yeah. Unless the, unless the vaccine come out earlier than that. Got it. Um, this person asked, will the changes in booze prices be a welcomed change? I assume the answer is uh -huh. yes. <laughs> hallelujah. 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 I don't think it's going to change that much from the revenue to the government. The government, don't, the government was, I mean, I don't want to be talking bad about them. They've been trying to help right now. But I mean, we take the boost from them. We let's say we double it. They're still making their taxes on it. So and maybe they're a lot higher taxes. Back it up one step. You you buy the restaurants buy booze from the liquor just distributor, like just, just like, like just like we do as a consumer. You're like paying you. the same rate. Same rate. And the, this is the only business on the planet. Think about it. The only business on the planet that the consumer cannot negotiate. Think about it. Yeah. You personally could negotiate of buying a house. You could negotiate of buying a car. You could negotiate for anything. You could walk into a, um, to a dealership and say, I'm gonna buy 50 cars, give me a better price. We, we're in a business where we can't do that. It's unheard of. Yeah. It's unheard of that a guy like me could buy $10 million a year of liquor and wine, and I can't go to my person that's selling me and say, give me a better price. Yeah. Because if a customer walked into my restaurant and said, I'm going to bring you 500 people for dinner, give me a better price, I'm going to give them a better price. Right. And so what are they, what's the government uh, proposing to do with the It's booths? to give us the same like a wholesaler, like I'm now becoming a wine store. So if I open a wine store, I'm buying still the liquor and the wine from the government, I get a discount. So I'm going to get exactly the same wholesale. So I, in the old days, I'm selling more than wine stores, but I don't get the discount that the wine store gets. How big of a discount is it? Ten percent, thirty percent? What? What? It's, um, it's between, I think, fifteen to twenty. Depends on. So that'll be a, that'll be a, a a big helpful change. It's an incredible change to our. We we work in a, such a slim margin that every dollar count. Every dollar count. That could be helpful. Us, uh, that could help us for being being broke or not because our rent. We predict that our rent went up in all our location between nine to ten percent to 24 to 25%. Wow. Yeah, so we, if, we, if I could get some from the liquor, that maybe bring it back by 5%, that would save me 5% yeah. on my sales. Cool, that, yeah, that'd be great. So this person asked, what's your favorite location of yours? And what's your favorite location? And I think it means like, uh, not, yeah, okay, not, the, not the brand or whatever, just like, oh, this one's on the corner or whatever. Like, yeah. it's actually the location. And what's your favorite location generally of anything in the city? Like, what's the one that you would love to have location-wise? Yeah. yeah. Um, my favorite location will be black and blue because of the roof and because of the area um, and the space. Uh, the my future location, I think, is going to be the best location for me. It will be global because what's happening in the area. Because I, I kind of see 20 years down the road. So even when we went down Alberni Street, people laughed at us. It was a bowling alley. Alberni Street was 30 bucks a foot, 15 bucks a foot. Now it's $300 a foot. And we were the first guys to go on Alberni Street. So we tried to see 10, 15, 20 years. Sometimes we make mistakes, like when we got on Granville and we thought Granville was going to take off and then Granville ended up turning around again. Best location was always Joe Forte. Joe Forte, the way that was set up in the corner there uh, on, a, on an area that was on the sunny side, the patio side, uh, the amount of people walking through the door, the, the closeness to the hotels, 
every and I was the chef there, so I understood all the calculation of what made that location is perfect. Um, another location is perfect is Carderos because you're on the water and you have all this condominium and the hotel beside you. That's a lot, again another great location. Yeah. But otherwise, everything is just like a, maybe an A to B everywhere. Cool. Yeah, the Carderos ones is, is a neat spot. Um, what's your number one piece of advice for someone in the restaurant industry? And they, they don't say owning a restaurant or working in it, just I, I, you can answer it however you like, I guess. No, no, what you, you're going to find two people that opening restaurants. And sometimes, I mean, from our side, we were, we might not be the most loved company in people in the industry because they always looked at us. I'll give you the simplest example. Joe Forti, I just picked the Joe Forti's, right? Joe Forti's is the highest, most valuable sale restaurants in Vancouver for probably 30 years. There was no restaurant did more revenue than Joe Forti's except in the last five years, Cactus Club and Cold Harbor. So if you take Cactus Club and Cold Harbor out of the equation, Joe Forti's was the highest revenue restaurants. But when you talk to foodies, when you talk to the media, ah, it's a tourist trap. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. It just doesn't show you. If you want to get into this business, you have to take two decisions. Like I used to sit with my new manager I'm going to hire. And I used to ask him a very simple question. And I used to say to him, I'm going to give you that key. This key is going to be for your dream restaurant. 30 seat. You're going to put up the best food ever. Your name is going to be written in neons everywhere. And you're going to be Michelin restaurant. The best restaurant. Everybody's going to say, this is the best restaurant ever but you're gonna end up working seven days a week for the next 30 years to create that or i'm gonna make you a fish and chip stand line up around the block 24 hours seven days a week and you're gonna make shitload of money which one you want to own and some chefs said oh i want to own this mission great nice meeting you i'll see you maybe hopefully because the truth is we are in business to make money. If my restaurant make money, now I'm gonna visit that Michelin restaurant down in Spain and I'm gonna be sitting in that restaurant holding a nice bottle of wine because I afford it. I don't wanna be the guy that working in a Michelin restaurant all my life and I can't afford to buy a steak somewhere because that's all what I could make. If you wanna open a restaurant, if you're in the restaurant business, you have to decide, are you doing it for the fame? I look at it as a, uh, I look at it from, as because I have a business mentality and I was a chef working in Michelin restaurants, my business mentality telling me is I fail if I'm not profitable. So it doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't matter if I'm putting out the best food on the planet. If I'm not making money, I fail. So I have to have a business attitude when you run your restaurant. Why you want to open for, how you want to create your product, how you're going to sell it to the consumer, and is the consumer going to accept it? and they're gonna like it. Not your best friend thinking that this is the best dish ever. If everybody else don't like it, then guess what? It's not the best dish ever. Very true, very true. All right, so uh, watching the clock here, I've got two more questions for you before I bring Katie back in. But the first one is, are you interested in acquiring any struggling restaurants? Is that a thing that you do? Uh, we're gonna have to wait. We're, of course, we're thinking that there's great location going to start popping up everywhere. Uh, it has to be the right decision, but don't forget, we're worried about our cash flow right now. 
to make sure that we have cash flow for our restaurant right now before we start investing somewhere else. Gotcha. And my, uh, the final one I've got here is, uh, what do you, what do you want everybody watching? This is for me. What do you, what do you want everybody watching this, uh, this webinar to do next week for the restaurant industry? What's the best thing that people can do? Go out, go out, go out, go out, go out. Let's get these things back and be careful, be safe, but go out. Tell these restaurant people, you know what? We're going to support you now. You know, there's lots of people that think about it that way. This is people that when you're partying in New Year's Eve and getting the best time of your life, they're working to let you have the best time of your life. When you're a Sunday or day off and you want to go for a nice brunch with your friends, they're the one that they're serving you. When you uh, at midnight sitting on a bar, uh, if you're a guy trying to make a girl, they're the one that's serving you this is the time for people to go out and support it because it is being destroyed. It's an industry that got destroyed. And I am telling you right now, there is no turning back for this industry. And is this what you want Vancouver five years down the road? That it's like 30 years ago where it's 20 restaurants and shitty food because take it or leave it. That's the only places. Vancouver becoming these places with all this unique, great, small places with great food. And we have, some of the best food in the world in Vancouver. It will disappear if you don't go out. That's great. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Thank you for doing this. I'll uh, pass it back to Katie. Yeah, thanks a lot, Matt. I mean, I can't wait to get back up to the restaurants. I live in- that wraps another episode of the Addy Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to get the next episode. For more information, visit addyinvest.com. Until next time.